So if you were here the past two weeks, we've been talking about Nehemiah. Um, I'm going to give you a brief overview of, of what we've talked about. Now, Nehemiah was a Jewish man, but he had a special, he had a special role in, um, in what God did in the Bible with God's people. He was first a, uh, a cupbearer to the king, to a Persian king. And so that meant that basically he had to test the king's wine before it was served to him to make sure he wasn't poisoned. But that also means that he spent a lot of time with the king. So he was probably a pretty influential man, even though he was living in exile from um, the Jewish city. So a hundred years before Nehemiah was cupbearer, Jerusalem was destroyed. It was destroyed by, by the Babylonians. They burned down the temple. They burned the walls. They tore down the walls. And they were all, a lot of the Jewish people just dispersed into the surrounding villages. But the Babylonian king took a lot of the, the best and the brightest with him to Babylon. That's where we have the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Time goes by and... Babylon is destroyed, or it's conquered by the Persians. And that's when the king of Persia decides to let the Jewish people go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. They had a lot of favor. They had a lot of grace with this king. The king actually provided them lumber to rebuild their temple. And so things were looking pretty, pretty positive for the Jewish people. But then... It was very difficult for them to, to continue because, well, one, it took a very long time to even rebuild the temple. They had no walls. Having no walls means that you are at the mercy of the people around you. The enemies could come in at any time. They could take whatever they wanted. There was no way that the people could actually build something for their families because it could be taken away from them in one night. Nehemiah hears about this from his brother. And even though Nehemiah has a pretty nice life living in the king's palace, <laughs> he feels burdened to do something about it. He feels like he, he, he has to do something for his people. So he prays about it for about four months. He's in prayer with God. And, and in those nights, I'm sure there are many sleepless nights where he, he was mourning for his hometown. Well... He does do something about it. He goes to the king, and the king notices that he's sad, and being sad in the king's presence could lead to death or banishment or generally not anything positive. But the king asks him, what's going on? How can I help? So Nehemiah tells him, and the king actually lets him, not only does he let him go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls of his city, but he gives him letters, and he gives allowing him to do it and giving him wood and lumber to rebuild the walls and the gates. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem and he arrives there and he sees the brokenness of the walls and, and he formulates a plan. He gathers everybody together and these aren't construction workers and these aren't people that are masters in, in wall building and gate building. They're, they're typical people that just had their, their, their normal jobs but they gathered together, and in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall. It was something incredible, because for over 100 years, those walls were broken down, and nobody did anything about it. But Nehemiah stepped up, and he said, I want to do something about it. 
So that's where we're going to pick up the story today. And we're actually picking it up right before the walls are finished. Nehemiah starts noticing that it's not just the walls are broken. There's something sadder. And it was more than just a broken wall. We're going to start in chapter 5. Now, if you have um, a Bible, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible in these chair pockets, you can pick one up. I'm actually going to be reading out of the NLT today, which is a certain translation, the translation we have here in the, in the chair backs or ESV. It's the same Bible, but just the wording's a little different because it's a little easier for me to read, and I have a lot of scripture I want to get through today. So let's start in verse 1. It says, About this time, some of, their men, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy, and our children are just like theirs, yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do, everything, to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. After thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Let's pause right here and pray. Lord, we... Um, Many times we're like Nehemiah and we're confronted with uh, a problem. <laughs> Sometimes it angers us because we see injustice in the world and, and we don't quite know what to do about it, Lord. The truth is we are broken people and we live in a broken world. God, I pray that you would reveal that to us today. I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would just lay on our hearts every broken part of our life but that we wouldn't just stay there today. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to speak to us because ultimately we, we want to know you, Lord. <laughs> we pray these things in your name. Amen. We know who God is, right? I mean, a lot of people have opinions of who God is. And a lot of times that's based on what we've heard in the past. A lot of times whenever... You know, if, if we were to ask somebody around us, who do you say God is? They'll, well, one, that's sometimes a very awkward question that we don't really like to ask <laughs> because it usually entails a deeper conversation. Sometimes we don't want to ask it because maybe we don't feel like we're, we're qualified to answer that for ourselves. Or maybe we say, well, God is whoever you believe he is. A lot of times we, we find somebody who's more educated or who has um, devoted more time to studying this, and we say, okay, that, that guy's a lot smarter than me, so I'm, I'm just going to go with whatever he says because it seems like he knows who God is. But what if I were to ask you, who does your soul say that God is? From the very core of your being, if I were to ask you, 
Who is God? What would your soul say? You know, that, that, that's way further than just a Google answer. And I believe that it's, it's a very personal answer that for each person it's going to be slightly different because they've experienced God slightly different in their lives. I believe that the problems that we're facing today really could be solved if everybody had an accurate portrait of God. If they knew who God was, I think that would solve almost everything. And if we could just imagine God was sitting right in front of us, what would that be like? For everybody to know who God is and, and his heart for us, for there to be nothing between us, man, that would be like heaven, wouldn't it? <laughs> Nehemiah has encountered that the walls of Babylon were not the most devastating thing about, I'm sorry, the walls of Jerusalem being broken were not the most devastating thing about the people. The people were broken, and the people, they did not know who God was. I want to continue on with verse 8 of chapter 5. So Nehemiah hears about these horrible things, and he says, all right, we're going to get together, we're going to talk about it. In verse 8, it says, at the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain but now let us stop this business of charging interest. You must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day and repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called the priests and made the nobles and the officials swear to what they had promised. This one story in, in chapter 5, I think, is very important, and I think it's placed strategically in the Bible for us to, to understand that there are broken people in the world, and broken people usually tend to hurt others as well. If we look at who were, were the broken in just the, the chapter, it's obvious that there's three groups of people. That are broken, and that was those who saying that they needed more food for their large families, so they felt like they were they were lacking food for their families. There were those who mortgaged their homes and fields just to not starve or pay their or, or to be able to, to pay their taxes. That's a little more extreme. And then there were those that had to sell their children, and I, I can't really even fathom just the level of brokenness you would have to reach to consider that. I think these, these, were, these were God's people, you know? They were supposed to be the chosen group of people that was going to represent God, and they're living broken, broken lives. But there's one more group of people 
And really, it entailed all of them together. It was those that did not know the word of God. They, the people that were lending the money and charging interest. And when you think about it, it's, it's not just, it's not something irreasonable or irrational to, to ask for interest to be drawn on land or on the food that you lend out. But the problem was that the people did not, they didn't know that God had called them to be separate. They did not know that God had instructed them what to do. Nehemiah, he came to Jerusalem and he saw that this wall was broken and that they needed a wall because they needed protection from the outside enemy. But what about the enemies inside the wall? Their own people, themselves. And that, honestly, is the problem for all of us today. We consider our enemies to be all outside of us, outside our walls, and we need to build a wall of protection. But what about the enemies that lie within? And I'm talking about sin. Because sin is something that, that, that grows in, in the darkness. And anytime we think that, no, it, our problem is that person over there, or our problem is that right there, there's usually, there's usually something inside of us that we need to identify first. And that's why I love that Nehemiah is stepping up and saying, before we get these walls finished, we gotta, we gotta recognize that we have a problem inside the walls. I mean, shouldn't there be a difference from God's people, God's holy people that God has, has, has instructed and, and the rest of the world? I mean, these people, they're supposed to be like God, right? They're, they're supposed to at least resemble him. But they didn't know. They didn't know what God's word said. If they would have known what God's word said, they would have known that they shouldn't have done what they did. Let's read in, in Leviticus 25. Leviticus is, is a book in the Bible that, that was given to Moses that basically detailed how the people of God should act. And it wasn't just this rule book for them to follow to make sure that they don't step out of line. It was, how can these people be set apart? How can they be different from the rest of the world? And so God detailed many different things that he instructed them to do. And it says right here in Leviticus 25, verse 35 to 37, if one of your fellow Israelites falls into poverty and he cannot support himself, support him as you would a foreigner, or a temporary resident, and allow him to live with you. Do not charge interest or make a profit at his expense. Instead, show your fear of God by letting him live with you as your relative. Remember, do not charge interest on money you lend him or make a profit on the food you sell. There was hope. God, God wanted them to protect themselves. He wanted them to, to have the same heart, a heart of mercy, heart of grace, a heart of, I see you struggling, and I want to help you out. I'm not going to take advantage of you. But the people were ignorant to God's instructions. But not for long. I'm going to fast forward a little. The wall is now finished. It took 52 days. The people, it was not easy for them. It says in one part that they were 
They had a, a sword in one hand and a brick in the other because there were enemies surrounding the wall and shouting lies and threats at them, but they did it. And the first thing that happens is they get together, and in Nehemiah 8, we see something really incredible. Nehemiah 8. This is where the, the people finally hear God's word. So it says this, chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man, so they were together, they were whole, into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seven month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah, Shema, Ananiah, or Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm really not doing these names justice. They stood on his right hand. <laughs> And Pediah, Mishael, Malchidab, Hashum, oh Zechariah, I know that one, and Meshulam on his left hand. So, so these people are ready, okay? And, and I love the setup for it because it's not just like, oh yeah, you have that, that Bible, right? Let's, let's, let's see what it says. They said, this is a monumentous occasion. We're going to build a platform so that the head scribe, he can come up here and he can read to us what the word of God says. And not only that, but he's gonna have these prophets on, on his sides or these people, these men of God that are gonna be standing up there supporting him with it. So they all get together and they're gonna hear the word of God. And it says here in verse five, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was above all the people, and as he opened it to the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Also, here's some more names Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Anan, Peliah, the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book of the law of God clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. What I love about this passage is that not only did Ezra just get up and start reading from the word of God. But there were people. Now these people that they mentioned here the second time around that I struggled through, they were priests. And Jeshua was actually the high priest. They were there and they were saying, all right guys, this is how we apply this to our life. This is God's word and this is how it works in our life. I love that the people actually understood it. 
And it's right here that we actually see the reason that Nehemiah was called by God. Can you think about it? Broken walls, yeah, those, those are important, but these were broken people that needed the word of God, and they would have never gotten it if God hadn't, hadn't moved a man like Nehemiah to do something about it. That's really the most important thing for each one of us as well. I mean, we all have struggles. We all have difficulties. A lot of them are external that people can see, but the greatest struggles and the greatest things that hold us back are inside of us. And God needed to speak to what was inside of us. He needed to show them that he was a faithful, loving God. And he, he showed everybody that he was faithful and loving by helping them to complete the wall, by giving them grace and doing just amazing supernatural things that, that brought them together and showed them that he is faithful. The people needed to understand that he was faithful. And when you, when you, when you read this, this passage, you need... You see that the people, they, in a sense, they had to have their eyes opened to the brokenness that, that they were living in. Before, I mean, it was just, it was normal for them to live with broken walls and, and to charge interest to people that were in poverty and for them to, to sell their children into slavery. Sadly, that was kind of normal back then. But they needed their eyes open. They needed to understand who they were and that they were broken people with broken walls. They saw their brokenness. And they, through the reading and understanding of the word, they started to realize, God, we've really messed up. We need you. Let's look at the response. In, in chapter 8, verse 9, it says that, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this, this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Right here we see, I think, what every Christian needs to go through. <laughs> they need to see just how broken they are. <laughs> and how do we do that? That's usually by... Uh, honestly, we could reach a point in our life where we, we see it so clearly because we're at the rock bottom. <laughs> but if you don't want to get to that point, <laughs> open up the word of God. This is a, a, a mirror for our soul and we, we will see all the, these things lurking inside of us. The people, they had to see their lostness before they could encounter God's goodness. They were not only confronted by their sin, but they had failed to see the treasure of a relationship with God. 
maybe to them, like to some of us, God is this kind of bedtime story or this, this being that we cling to whenever we feel insecure. And we, maybe that they just thought of God as, you know, he's, he's up there and I'm down here and, you know, I say things to him every now and then. They didn't know God. They didn't know who he was. And through the sending of Nehemiah and seeing that, wow, God, he didn't forget me. He's still there for me. I can, I can trust again. I, I, I know that we probably don't deserve this, but God is doing something for us. What's, what's more beautiful than hearing the word of God? It's, it's understanding the word of God. It's seeing that, that this book that I have in front of me isn't just a history book or it isn't just some collection of, of fables. It's, this is the history of God's love for me. And it started a long time ago and, and he was doing so many things but I just never saw it. Think of, think of the way that the people were feeling. They, they had spent their whole life in fear. Many of them in, in much greater fear because they had to even sell their children. But imagine they, what it would feel like to be like them. Living your entire life believing a lie. Believing that this is all that there is. And that what I really need is just to get more money or get, just get more food. Or Notice that the people that were complaining, they, they were complaining about all the things that they lacked. And it's true, they, those people were lacking things, but not one of them identified that what they needed more than all was God to work in their life. I imagine it being like somebody living in, in a closet and... The lights are out and all they do is kind of bump around and they always hurt themselves or, or do things that basic life is just difficult because the lights are off and they can't see and, and they, they just don't understand that they just need to open the door and see that they have this whole world outside. I, I'm sure it hurts and that's what these people were crying about. They like, man, all these years that I wasted, all these years that, that we just forgot about God, and now I see it? Man, that had to hurt. But I love that Nehemiah and, and all the, the leaders, they were saying, no, this, this is not a day to be sad. This is a day to rejoice. What follows chapter 8 is chapter 9, obviously. <laughs> and it's this beautiful prayer. And I don't have the time to go through it, but it's, it's basically this prayer that retells the whole Jewish story, <laughs> basically of how God was so good to them, and then they messed it up. But God was rich in his grace and mercy, and he was good to them, and they messed it up. And again, how God was so good, and he saved them, and they forgot him. It's this pattern that they had gotten in. But at the end of it, they, they make a pact and they said, we are going to follow God. We are not going to let our children forget the word of God. And you see, that's not just some 
blind obedience to an overbearing creator. And the, the people, they actually saw God for the first time. They saw him for who he really was. They saw him as a God of mercy, a God of love. And, and who wouldn't want to follow a God like that? It was real to them. Their eyes were opened. And, and the real truth was that there was nothing more precious than following their God and knowing their God and serving God. It's like a man who is with a metal detector in a field and he comes across this enormous treasure and, and so he wants that treasure and so he goes home and he sells everything he has and he comes and he buys that field just so that he can have that treasure. Whenever you find just how precious God is and what he's doing for us, everything else just becomes really irrelevant. And we wanted to surrender everything that we have just to, to obtain that. But you know, what makes them even greater is that we don't have to pay that price. <laughs> that Jesus had paid that price. He paid the price so that we could have this communion with God. Do we really see him for who he is? Now, I want to close today by, by reading from one of the writings of one of the older men that was standing at the left hand of Ezra. It was one of the only ones that I could actually pronounce correctly, Zechariah. <laughs> but he was, he was known to be a prophet, and he was very old at this time when he was standing beside Ezra. But he was called by God to record a lot of different visions, different... Um, different messages that he needed to give to God's people. And this vision is actually about one of the men that was standing among the people that was helping to explain what was going on and explain the word of God. It's about Jeshua, the high priest. Now, you got to understand that the high priest was kind of like the representative that spoke for God's people to God. He was the one that would do the sacrifice, and especially the, the one sacrifice where he would go into God's presence and sprinkle blood on the altar so that they could, and he would confess all the sins of not only himself, but of the entire people. So Zechariah has the vision of this high priest, of this man who has this, this duty of being the mediator between God and God's people. And, and this is the vision that it has in Zechariah 3. It says, Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand. And he was making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Satan, yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins. 
And now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. <laughs> that vision there is applicable for each one of us today. Imagine us <laughs> reaching the throne room of heaven and having Satan spout out accusation after accusation after accusation and every single one of them is true about the things that we've done that nobody saw and that God is there hearing it and he says I reject it and he sees me in my filth he sees me in my, my dirty clothes and he sees me like a stick in the fire. He yanks me out. He cleans me up. He takes off my filthy old clothes and gives me fine new clothes. I don't know who, who would not want that. And every single one of us has the opportunity to have that. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. It isn't that God isn't fair, because honestly, this isn't a fair trade, <laughs> because I'm standing there, and I know my filth, and I, what Satan is saying about me is, is actually, a lot of it is true, even though he is father of lies. And God says, no, my son paid the price for that. This guy see no fault in them. I think that's what the people were having. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine, and I love that Zechariah had this vision of Jeshua, because his people, that the people that Jeshua represented were, were filthy. <laughs> they had filthy clothes, and they had so many issues, and they were broken people, but God was, was working through it. And he knew the price that his son was going to pay on the cross so that they could now be declared clean. So that they, they could be declared his people. Imagine for a minute that you were there standing before God. Imagine that feeling of, Lord, I don't deserve this, but Thank you for what you've done. Let's pray. God, we, oh God, we're so thankful for what you did for us. God, before we can even say thank you, we, we want to identify that we are broken people and we have broken lives. We live in a broken world and God, we desperately need you. We need your word to work in our life, to even point out these areas that maybe we have not identified yet as to how we're broken. Lord, I pray that you would work in the lives of each person right now, that you would, you would point out their flaws, and even though that feels painful, Lord, it's, it's healing to us because we know that you paid for every single sin that we've committed. We have your grace. We have your forgiveness, Lord. I pray that we would recognize just how precious that is and that that would cause us to want 
to follow you, to, to surrender our lives to you, Lord, because there's nothing more precious than you. God, I pray that you would help each person today to identify what it is that they need to surrender. And Lord, I pray that you would, for those people that feel like Jeshua standing before you with dirty clothes and, and feeling like, God, I am, I am not worthy of this, that they would just see your love and your grace and your mercy of what you did for them on the cross, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to cling to you, <laughs> that we would not depart from you even when things get easier or things when, when things get harder, Lord, but that we would, we would walk with you and we would constantly 